0: Live from New York, I'm Eleni Jarkas, and here's what you need to know. Against the odds, the stock market weathers, trade wars, and a recession threat to round out the year in record territory. Delivered, Tesla gives its first China-made Model 3s to its own employees. And calling for regulation, Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff tells CNN that Facebook is the new cigarettes. It's Monday, and this is First Move. Welcome to the show. So good to have you with us as we gear up for the last two trading days of 2019 and checking futures. It's looking like a mostly flat start to this holiday shortened trading week. But the Dow and the S&P 500 begin the session at record highs and the S&P is coming off its fifth straight week of gains. And what a year it has been for U.S. stocks. The Dow is up 22% since January. The S&P has risen almost 30%. But it is the tech stocks that have been the big outperformers, with the Nasdaq up an astounding, get this, 35% year-to-date. Some analysts warn that the strong year-end rally could make stocks vulnerable to an early 2020 pullback a lot will be riding on fourth quarter earnings season which begins in just a few weeks time and whether the u.s jobs market will remain strong investors are counting on the fed to keep rates steady in the new year as well so it's not just uh u.s stocks that have been on a roll the shanghai composite rallied more than one percent today after the chinese central bank announced a brand new benchmark interest rate analysts say move could lower borrowing costs and boost growth in China. That's going to be much needed for global growth as well. So let's get straight into the drivers and more on Wall Street's record run. We've got Christine Romans joining us. Hi, what a rocking year it's been for markets. And looking at how the S&P has performed, I'm also just checking PE ratios, so price to earnings, showing that markets are looking expensive. And the question is, if earnings disappoints in the next few weeks, that could mean that the bulls won't be in play for much longer.
1: You know, it's been so long. This bull market has been so long and so durable that it often leads to these questions. How much longer can it last? But you're hearing economists and analysts. Get a little more upbeat heading into the beginning of next year. Look, they don't expect these double digit returns for the stock market next year like we had this year. Um, but they do point out the de escalation, the China trade war is important. If you see a signing ceremony on that first phase one of a trade deal and no more new tariffs next year, that would be good for business investment and business confidence. The consumer remains strong here, and the unemployment rate has been very, very low, and interest rates are still historically pretty low. So just to take a victory lap here yeah. for a moment, I mean, what a remarkable year it has been. A year ago at this time, we were in the worst uh, December since the Great Depression, a real nasty pullback in the stock market. And then It stages this big recovery this year, all the three major averages up at least 20%. And when you look at the past decade, Eleni, I think it's really important to look at where we've been. It's not just one year or just two years here. Last year, a little bit of a step back, a 4% loss for the total return of the S&P 500. But it has been a strong 10 years. And this year for the S&P, the strongest since 2013, when the S&P 500 rose 32%. The total return of the S&P over the past decade, more than 200 50%. 50%. So your question about PEs and whether there's room to stumble here, very valid when you look at numbers like these. Yeah. yeah. Christine,
0: I'm also just find it. Uh, I find it absolutely fascinating that the markets have largely shrugged off, you know, the trade war with China or they've just priced it in. And the question now remains, you know, what are the winning trades going to be for participants that have really benefited from these double digit gains? I mean, what strategy do they then go in with to 2020?
1: Yeah. And that's a, a good question. Look, when you look at the Wall Street Journal sort of like forecast for next year, it finds an average of just single digit returns. So that means it's not necessarily a market, a stock market anymore. It's a market of stocks. You have to know where you want to be and what your strategy is going to be. So that makes, you know, uh, the market professionals all that much more valuable um, heading into next year. Because quite frankly, if you have parked your money in a low cost index fund, you've done very, very well here over the past few years one thing i think is interesting politically because there will be political noise uh, next year no question but one thing i think that's interesting um here politically is uh what happens to tax policy does the president try to revive any kind of a uh, of a new middle class tax cut as we head into uh, uh next year the fed yeah. we expect will remain on hold here uh will we really see the trade war with china simmering not boiling as it's been that's incredible important as well? Or will the president try to open new fronts in the trade war, say with Europe or, or other countries that he's angry about auto, uh, auto tariffs? So I, I still think there's a lot that can happen next year that could be unpredictable.
0: A lot of unknowns. Christine, thank you so very much and You're Happy New Year to you. All right. So Tesla has delivered its first China-made cars less than a year after it broke ground on the Shanghai factory. David Culver reports.
2: Tesla rolled out its first made-in-China electric vehicles Monday, the company handing over 15 key fobs to Tesla employees who worked on the cars at Tesla's new Shanghai Gigafactory. The Model 3 sedans are the first China-built cars for Elon Musk's company. The debut comes amid a worsening consumer market in China. The country's car industry is in a major slump. That's due in part to the ongoing U.S.-China trade war, the massive port crisis, and the nation's rising debt. It has all weakened consumer confidence. But Tesla is forging ahead nonetheless. Musk built the new Shanghai factory in less than a year. The company hopes to eventually produce 500,000 cars a year in China. Analysts tell CNN it could give China's car market a much-needed jolt of energy, setting a new standard for local competitors to live up to. Now, investors seem hopeful as well. After falling as much as 46% earlier this year, Tesla's stock hit an all-time high this past week. Monday's China rollout, far smoother than the November demo of Tesla's new Cybertruck in the U.S., when the supposedly unbreakable metal glass windows did, in fact, break. Instead, the Shanghai event even turned romantic, with Tesla posting on its Chinese social media that one of its employees used the moment to propose to his girlfriend. And amid tears, she did not yes. That moment, by the way, quickly started trending in China. Now, Tesla is not new to the Chinese market. It's been delivering cars to customers in China since 2014. But Musk has called this Made in China initiative a template for future growth. David Culver, CNN, Hong Kong.
0: All right, that was David Culver reporting on Tesla. Now, two attacks on places, places of worship are shaking the United States. In Texas, a gunman opened fire inside a church during Sunday services. He killed two people before he was shot and killed by parishioners. Meanwhile, New York gets to grips with an anti-Semitic stabbing that left five people wounded inside a rabbi's home. New York's governor is calling the attack an act of domestic terrorism. Bryn Gingras has more on that.
3: A gruesome stabbing on the seventh night of Hanukkah, leaving five people injured, just as Rabbi Chaim Rottenberg was lighting the manure in his home, right outside of New York City. Police say Grafton Thomas entered, pulled out a large knife and began his stabbing spree. Nearly 100 people were gathered in the home celebrating the holiday.
4: I saw him walking in by the door. I asked "Who is coming in in the middle of the night. With the umbrella. While I was saying that, he pulled it out from the tank and, and I threw him tables and chairs that he should get out of here.
3: After the attack, a witness tells CNN the attacker tried to go to a nearby synagogue, but the worshipers inside locked the door. This surveillance video captures the suspect fleeing the rabbi's home, running toward his car moments after the attack. Witnesses gave police the license plate number. A plate reader located the suspect's car crossing over the George Washington Bridge in New York City nearly two hours after the attack, where he was apprehended by police. Thomas was arraigned Sunday morning, charged with five counts of attempted murder and one count of first-degree burglary. He pleaded not guilty. In a statement, Thomas's family lawyer says that he has no history of violent acts and has a long history of mental illness and hospitalizations. Thomas's pastor, who says she has known him for more than 10 years, echoed the sentiment.
2: Grafton is not a terrorist. He is a man who has mental illness in America and the systems that be have not served him well.
3: All five victims are Hasidic Jews. They are being treated at area hospitals. One of them was the son of the rabbi.
4: In this Hanukkah, we suffered more anti Semitic incidents than the candles that we lit, and that it's uh, impossible to bear. Um, are in a completely different game.
3: This attack comes just weeks after a deadly terror attack at a kosher supermarket in Jersey City, New Jersey. Over the last week, there have been at least nine attacks on Jews in the New York area. Governor Andrew Cuomo says he wants to classify hate crime attacks against religious groups as domestic terrorism.
5: And I want this state to be the first state to have a domestic terrorism law to express how ignorant this is how intolerant it is and how criminal it is and i'll be proposing that law for this state
0: right we've got brendan grass joining us now from new york brendan we just heard from the governor talking about uh petitioning for this new law with regards to domestic terrorism. And I wonder how the community feels about this because we've seen so many of these incidents in just a week. And in fact, since the beginning of the year, we've seen a 20% rise in anti-Semitic incidents as well. Some people feel it's just too little too late. What are you hearing?
6: Yeah, I think a lot of people are questioning why it's happening. And certain people, of course, have their opinions, especially when it comes to politics. Right. But really, the community is focused on not only just uh, protecting this community, meaning that we have police officers, law enforcement protecting synagogues, other places of worship because of this spike and uh, these this recent uptick uh, in uh, anti-Semitic attacks. But honestly, they are saying that they really want to focus on getting down to the community level, getting to the younger people explaining how much uh, destruction hate could really cause they say it's not just a law enforcement issue so at this point you know people are sort of just in disbelief that this actually happened Uh, but they also are recognizing the fact that it is really really happening far too often especially this past month and they want answers and trying to figure it out and solutions really
0: So Bryn, we know that the suspect has been arraigned and pleaded not guilty and is expected to appear in court later this week um, as well. What is the community saying to you right now? I'm sure there must be heightened fear, heightened anxiety.
6: Yeah, I think the big question is, why did he come after this particular house? Now, this suspect actually lives about 40 minutes from here. Uh, It's unclear, at least from the law enforcement, that they're telling us at this point uh, why this was his target. Uh, There's also possibilities. uh, Did this suspect commit any crimes in this area in the past? So these are questions that not only law enforcement is asking, but the community as well. But listen, this is a community uh, that even last night came out in full force. They lit the eighth night of Hanukkah the menorah. Uh, They had a parade through the streets. They said they are going to stand their ground and they're going to continue uh, practicing their faith, what they believe in, despite what this uh, horrific incident that happened in the home here behind me.
0: Brendan thank you very much for your reporting. Appreciate your time. Bryn, Jim Grass yep. joining us there. All right, so these are the stories making headlines around the world. U.S. officials say at least four al-Shabaab militants have been killed after it launched new airstrikes in Somalia. This comes after a devastating car bombing ripped through a busy intersection during morning rush hour traffic in Mogadishu. At least 85 people have been killed and more than 100 injured. Iran's foreign minister says the U.S. will face consequences for launching airstrikes in Iraq and Syria. At least 25 people were killed and dozens of others wounded. The Pentagon says the targets were tied to an Iranian-backed militia group, which it says was responsible for a series of attacks on U.S. military personnel. Iraq's prime minister says the strikes violate his country's sovereignty. A Chinese scientist has been sentenced to three years in prison for his role in creating the world's first gene-edited babies. The scientists said the experiment made a pair of twins resistant to the AIDS virus. But critics called it unethical and a Chinese court ruled that it violated medical and research regulations. Residents in parts of southeastern Australia have been warned that it's too late for them to evacuate as devastating bushfires moved into the state of Victoria over the weekend. Officials say it's too dangerous to be on the roads and that everyone should seek shelter indoors. Our Simon Cullen has more on the dangerous conditions.
7: A small glimmer of hope is a cooler change that has been moving across parts of Australia, but that's still some way off the fire fronts of Victoria. And of course, with that cooler weather comes more erratic wind conditions, which presents its own challenges for firefighters. But this is not isolated to Victoria. This is a national bushfire crisis. The fire threat is extreme in several states. Here in New South Wales, I'm standing about an hour outside of Sydney. As you can see, this is not cloud behind me. This is actually thick bushfire smoke. There are ash particles falling from the sky from fires nearby. There are fires burning still out of control, More than 900 homes in New South Wales alone have been burnt and lost in this bushfire crisis. And of course, Sydney is still affected by thick smoke. That has led to calls to cancel Sydney's New Year's Eve fireworks. Now, at this stage, the fireworks will go ahead, but for the rest of the state, several New Year's Eve celebrations have been scaled back because there is a total fire ban in place and fireworks have been cancelled. It just goes to show this, this fire threat is still far from over as Australia swelters through yet another heatwave. Simon Cullen for CNN in Barrel, New South Wales.
0: Well, the fires have ripped a lot of animals from their homes, including this koala who stopped a, a cyclist for some water. Yeah, she says thing. the koala walked right up to her Sorry. and climbed onto the bike. Oh, the cyclist called it the best thing that's ever happened to her on a ride. All right, when we come back, a top business leader says the world is facing a crisis of trust. We'll explain why Mark Benioff is blaming Facebook. To first move live from New York, checking U.S. futures, it's now looking like a modestly higher start for U.S. stocks this session. The Dow and the S&P 500 should inch further into record territory uh, in early trading. A modest rally in the S&P today and tomorrow could, in fact, push the index to its best gains since 1997. And the S&P and the Nasdaq are up around. 3% for the month of December so far, a marked change from last December, remember that, when we had stocks selling off sharply and almost fell into bear market territory. It's not just stocks that are having a strong December, oil is also on the rise today and trading near three-month highs, U.S. airstrikes in Iraq and Syria over the weekend are helping boost crude prices today as well, as you can see, bring crude up of a percent. All right, so Mark Benioff has told CNN the world faces a crisis of trust. Not missing his words in the least. The owner of Time magazine zeroed in on Facebook, saying the social media superpower needs to be regulated.
5: Take a listen.
4: Facebook is the new cigarettes for our society. It's something that badly needs to be regulated. It's something that is not good for us. It's something that the company is out for our kids. And they're certainly not exactly about truth in advertising. Even they have said that. that, That's why we're, we're really in squarely a crisis of trust when the core vendor themselves cannot say that trust is our most important value. Look. We're at a moment in time where each one of us and every company has to ask a question. What is our highest value? What is the most important thing to us? And you asked why we got involved with Time magazine, because that value of trust, well, that's been associated with them from the very first day of their founding.
8: I know Facebook uh, is, has been under a lot of scrutiny. You and others have said it should be broken up. Do you expect that to actually happen?
4: I do. I expect a fundamental reconceptualization of what Facebook's role is in the in the world and what Facebook's role is in regards to the word, not just trust, but truth. And when you have an entity that large with that much potential impact and not fundamentally doing good things to improve the state of the world, well, then I think everyone is going to have... It's crosshairs, and since I first kind of made that statement, which was in January 2018, at the time, I don't think people really understood what I was saying. Today, I think it's crystal clear that our fundamental role and our relationship with Facebook needs to change.
8: And what about your own media (coughs) consumptions, uh, 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 patterns? How do you consume news and media these days?
4: Well, I I consume media in a lot of different ways, and of course, one of the, my favorite ways to consume media is Time Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> the second the second uh, uh, part of uh, consuming media for me is um, you know I'm an avid user actually of one of the social networks, Twitter. I know that you and I are both on there, yeah. and that's been that's been important to me. And then also I have subscriptions, physical and digital subscriptions. And I spend a lot of time with that every single day.
8: You mentioned Twitter. If Facebook is cigarettes, is Twitter heroin? What is what is Twitter?
4: Well, I think Twitter is actually quite a bit different. And I you know, they still there's no finish line when it comes to building trust. They've gone through their their set of challenges. um, But for sure, Facebook has been the biggest offender. And as an example you know, you can see that both organizations made very different positions in regards to political advertising.
8: That's true. That's a good point. So, so let me wrap up with you. A big prediction for the next 10 years. Where will we all be in, in 2030?
4: no pressure well i think <laughs> well artificial intelligence is probably the biggest driver of change uh, in uh, media and also in all of our lives you can see that i'm sure you like i have a voice based ambient computing you know we're talking to our alexa or google home or our apple home pod when you know to get some of our news to get our entertainment to get information Um, Our software and uh, systems that are around us, our phones, our cars, our homes, they're paying attention to us, they're listening to us, and uh, we're talking back to them. And that is going to become a huge, major change In terms of uh, media over the next 10 years, because as those systems know more about you and understand what you want, if you opt into that, it is going to start to give you feedback and you're going to start to see things that look a lot more like uh, a scene out of the minority report uh, than out of a page of Time magazine uh, 10 years ago.
0: All right. So it's not the first time Benioff has gone after Facebook and we've got Hadass Gold joining us. A crisis of trust, placing Facebook at the center of this, making analogies to our addiction akin to cigarettes. And of course, that it needs to be regulated for many different reasons. But why Facebook only? It seems that he's more kind of prone to being on Twitter um, and its social media as a whole. But it seems that Facebook is the big target for him.
9: Well, I think for Benioff, he said that he thinks that Facebook is the worst offender when it comes to issues of trust and safety. And also, you have to keep in mind that Facebook is the biggest name when it comes to these types of things. The one that people most regularly associate when they think of social media, they think of Facebook. And Facebook owns some of the biggest apps out there, from Facebook itself, of course, to Instagram, to WhatsApp. This is something that a lot of people don't realize. And I think that, as he noted, people are starting to sort of wake up not just to the dangers of social media when it comes to things like political disabilities information or misinformation in general or influence campaigns on social media, but also to the actual health effects. That's why we're seeing this trend of social media detoxes. Eleni, I'm sure you have some friends who are saying for the new year they're going to spend less time on social media, less time on their phones. And it's because we're starting to see the studies. There's studies about children and how addicted they are to social media. And actually we're seeing now regulations being pushed out both from the government side and also from the social media firms themselves trying to get ahead of regulation, starting to ban certain things on their platforms, ban certain advertisements. Just in the last week, actually, Instagram has banned its influencers. These are the people with lots of followers who can uh, promote sponsored content from from uh, influ- from uh, trying to promote sponsored content related to vaping or tobacco products or guns. And it's kind of astonishing to think that it's taken this long for Instagram to take that step. But that just goes to show you how quickly this is all developing and how the social media companies are trying at the same time catch up while also trying to capitalize on all of these people you Using their products and all these, all the money that's flowing through it, all the shopping that can be done on these yeah. products. But we're seeing the regulations come down, and we're seeing people like or companies like Facebook starting to shift, going from going from saying, "Oh, we don't need regulation," to now they're pretty much begging for regulation. The last year, especially, has been a significant shift in how Facebook has said whether they want regulation or not. They're pretty much begging for it now because they say they don't want to be the umpire. They want the governments to be the umpire. The question, of course, Lainey, is how all of these governments are going to do that and whether we're going to see a hodgepodge of regulations around the world when it comes to regulating social media. Eleni? Thank you so much, Hadas. Uh, It'll be interesting. I know that I'm trying to spend less time on social media. Hopefully we
0: can get that right. All right, up next, market opens after this short break. We're sitting in positive territory. I'll bring you those numbers right now. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. I'm Eleni Jokas in New York, and that was the opening bell on Wall Street. And I think those two little dogs have given the markets a really good boost today. (laughs) Let's take a look to see how the Dow is doing. Well, flat to modest, as you can see, but still in positive territory. Stocks on this uh, next to last trading day of 2019. Looks set to inch further into record territory, and the Nasdaq is still hovering around that nine thousand mark. It hit that major milestone for the first time ever last week. It's slightly down uh, in early trade. Of course, we're just a few seconds into the start of trade. There, tech stocks, of course, have been uh, uh, they've been on the, currently the longest weekly winning streak in a decade. It's unbelievable to see the kind of gains in that sector. The bulls are celebrating a year of double-digit returns, but 2019 wasn't always an easy year to make money stocks were whipsawed by u.s china trade uncertainty fears of a global growth slowdown and a less than stellar ipo market let's take a look back at some of 2019's market highlights down just over 1% on the Dow. It's not looking very good. the CNN
10: business fear and greed index is at extreme fear. I think it's too soon to say whether or not the Fed should raise rates two times, three times, maybe pause for the rest of the year. Just look at it, about 10.30, look how the S&P suddenly roars up even more. That is on the back of Jerome Powell's comments.
9: Jay Powell at this roundtable saying
4: it was almost like music to traders' ears. We're going to go ahead and be patient uh, when it comes to raising rates.
10: There is no preset path for policy. We will be patient as we watch to see how the economy evolves.
11: Home stretch reports suggest a U.S.-China trade pact may be nearing completion with a Trump Xi signing ceremony possible later this month. The president sees the stock market falling. It's
10: clearly affected him, and he has told his guys go get me a deal.
11: All it took was two tweets from President Trump to send global markets into a tailspin.
10: Markets around the world tumbled after the U.S. president made a new promise to hike tariffs on China.
11: That was the opening bell at the New York Stock Exchange and of course the Nasdaq market site with wide sharing at Lyft is making its stock market debut. Lyft shares falling some 12% on just their second day of trading.
10: Uber has just started trading on the New York Stock Exchange and the share prices have fallen. Clearly
11: the timing
10: was not
2: great for Uber to be going public while the market is falling on China fears, lift is plunging.
11: T G-I-F or should I say TG High F. Yes, I'm talking about record highs here for the US majors. Stop
10: are surging with hopes of a rate cut. The Fed cuts rates for the first time in a decade and insists it's not simply caving into pressure from President Trump. We never take into account political considerations. There's no place in our discussions for that.
11: President Trump, he's been tweeting this morning. Let me show you what he said. The Federal Reserve should get our interest rates down to zero or less. A -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that we are missing because of quote, boneheads.
9: Jay Powell and the Federal Reserve had just lowered U.S. interest rates for the second time in two months.
0: In the last hour, the central bank announcing its third interest
11: rate cut this year. The Fed says that's motivated by global economic uncertainty. China just announcing a phase one trade deal with the United States.
2: China calling this achieving major progress. That's going to be one of the great deals ever, and it's going to ultimately lead to the opening of China.
10: Tonight, a wave of optimism sweeps across global markets. The trade breakthrough between the U.S. and China, boosting the Dow, the Nasdaq, and S&P, all to record intraday highs.
0: Economist Vicky Price joins me now with her take on where the markets and the global economy goes from here. What a year it's been. You've got trade wars. You've got inversion of treasury, treasury yields. You also had major policy shifts coming through from the Fed as well. It's been incredible to see how it's worked out. I mean, I guess the question is, do we have any kind of certainty or clarity about what 2020 is going to look like?
12: Not really, except the, the majority of economists seem to think that it's going to be very slow growth in the world economy. If you look at business confidence, it has still been doing quite badly in the last few months. It may, of course, pick up if the trade deal that has been announced, or at least the beginnings of a trade deal with uh, US and China, uh, between them actually having come to some sort of agreement in terms of easing some of the tensions. If that one begins to look like uh, sticking and more comes, during the course of 2020 then we might see trade growth starting to recover remember the whole of 2019 probably saw trade growth of no more across the world of perhaps one to 1.2 percent that is one of the lowest rates that we've seen in ages and it certainly isn't putting the world economy back to the growth rates that we had before the financial crisis in fact if anything we've gone backwards and vicky what
0: i find interesting is that central banks are pulling out many tools uh that you know to try and keep economies afloat to try and keep markets at these kinds of levels and a growth at this level and i'm just curious that if there's any kind of risk um that we could experience in the first six months of the year and central banks might be then vulnerable where they don't have more ammunition uh to you know pick up economies that might come under pressure is that
12: your view too I think that's a real risk and everything, for example, that the International Monetary Fund says or the OECD or the World Bank uh, have this downside risk that there's going to be perhaps a slowdown in the first uh, half of the year and uh, the question is how do the authorities react? There is still ammunition. Interest rates can still come down a little bit, but you look at places like the European Central Bank uh, where, of course, interest rates are already negative for certainly one of the rates that they offer to banks that keep money with them, with the central bank, um, the central banks that keep money with ECB, that is, uh, that is a negative rate uh, of 0.5%. That means basically that you're charging banks to put any money with you and the rest of the rates are very, very low, if not zero. Uh, So it means that on the interest rate front, there is a little bit that can be done in other countries, not in Europe. But what we've seen already in Europe is... A resumption of quantitative easing in other words putting more liquidity into the market uh, because the central bank fears about the slowdown that's taking place already and the fact that credit is not flowing to companies certainly in europe as fast as it should do at this stage of the cycle
0: so when we're in a situation where you've got central banks stimulating and still very much in that um, kind of t- frame of mind uh where do you think money should go because you've got cheap money chasing as you know assets and they're just searching for yield at this point in time and it's not many countries or
12: economies that are offering that that's a real problem for any investor we've seen yields being negative you mentioned that uh, earlier in the summary of what happened during uh the the last year uh and of course it, the amazing thing is that countries that are still having difficulty in terms of the size of the debt are able right now to borrow at negative rates. I mean, look at, if you look at Europe, Portugal, for example, look even at Greece, which has had such a difficult time being able to borrow at, let's say, 2.5% interest rates or even less. Uh, That is extraordinary uh, for the turnaround that uh, they're able to do, to have seen uh, in market sentiment but that is because there isn't anything much else to invest in and yet we've seen shares go up very significantly in a number of areas and we've seen that happen in the u.s. of course over the last year but there's been huge volatility so if you're looking for certainty uh, looking at the stock market perhaps isn't the best because through the year last year we saw these amazing ups and downs that took place uh, in the US market and others uh, because mainly of the trade concerns that uh, have been around and they haven't been removed. In the UK of course we have the whole Brexit situation which is uh, going to be a burden for anyone who's trying to decide where to put their money. So what firms have done is I'm afraid Um, basically buy back their own shares. We've seen a lot of that going on or buying up cheap assets that they can get. Uh, So there's been a lot of consolidation taking place, purchases of of perhaps sort of growing firms from one country uh, to another. So there's been a lot of that uh, trying to find returns. Vicky, and lastly, you've just authored a new book,
0: uh, Woman versus Capitalism. And as we head into the new decade, you're basically saying that free market as we know it right now cannot result in gender equality. That's a a real worrying thought. Um, Do you think that we're going to see fundamental shifts in capitalism
12: going forward? Do you think that's likely? There's a lot more concern right now about gender equality. There's a lot more concern about equality more generally, or rather, inequality and what we're seeing is that uh, the part of the population which is in a majority which is women still hasn't seen gender equality it isn't just in terms of pay but it is also in terms of health outcomes education and so on Uh, but on the economic front I think uh, what we're doing at present is not realizing the potential that women have and that's what I write about in the book Uh, they don't they don't work at the skills level even though they tend to be better educated these days than the men and the economy is not allocating resources properly because it doesn't actually realize the potential that there is if they use women at the right levels and uh, encourage them to be more flexible and also come back to work after they have children. But also there's the bias against women and it's a long-term issue. The the current system is very short-term oriented. That's what capitalism is all about. And every change we've seen in terms of gender equality has come from government intervention. And unfortunately, we need more of this. It isn't saying that capitalism is not good at all. It says that it has to be one that works very closely with the regulators to ensure gender equality becomes a reality.
0: Well, Vicky, thank you very much for your insights and Happy New Year to you. All the best. Vicky Price, Chief Economist Advisor at the Centre for Economics and Business Research. All right, so moving on, confusion and disagreement at the White House. A new report says an order from President Trump left his staff divided. We'll explain when we come back. Stay with us. So we're learning more about the deep divisions within the White House over a controversial order from President Trump. The New York Times is reporting that top officials were split on Mr. Trump's demand to withhold nearly $400 million worth of military aid from Ukraine. It's that decision that led to his impeachment earlier this month. Jeremy Diamond joins us now from West Palm Beach, Florida, where President Trump is spending the holidays. Good to have you with us. I mean, this is really interesting because it kind of spells out who was for it, who was against it, and of course, who left because of it. Um, what, What kind of clarity are we getting about the latest information that we have?
8: Well, look, the White House has sought to portray this uh, freeze on nearly $400 million of security aid to Ukraine as a pretty routine matter. And now we've already seen consistent, uh, pretty significant evidence uh, through the testimony of many of those career officials that this was anything but a routine decision. Uh, but now these, uh, some of these new emails obtained by The New York Times in this report uh, that was published just yesterday uh, shows that even among the president's top advisors inside the West Wing, there was a pretty clear-eyed understanding that this was going to be something extremely controversial uh, and something that would cause uh, some headaches. Uh, You have Rob Blair, uh, one of the top uh, advisors to the White House chief of staff. Mick Mulvaney, telling him in an email, um, you know, expect Congress to become unhinged uh, if we do indeed go and follow through with this freeze on this $400 million of security aid. Uh, And so from that point on, uh, really, this set in motion a a couple of months, 84 days, as The New York Times describes, uh, during which you had uh, both career staff as well as some of the president's top foreign policy and national security advisors attempting to convince the president to reverse course on this, uh, including a a late August meeting involving the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of Defense, uh, Esper, as well as the National Security Advisor at the time, John Bolton, uh, all of them meeting with the president in late August in the Oval Office, attempting to convince him that this was something in America's interest to release that security aid to Ukraine, uh, but being unsuccessful in doing so. Ultimately, it was not until September 11th, uh, after the president learned about that whistleblower complaint, after he learned that Congress was beginning to investigate those claims, uh, and after uh, several uh, officials, including some Republican senators, uh, began asking him whether or not there was a quid pro quo here involving this security aid for Ukraine and these investigations. Only after all of those things happened did the president ultimately uh, relent uh, and release that aid?
0: So, Jeremy, now that we have new information, this is possibly going to influence the way that Democrats view the Senate trial and the rules of engagement here, because Nancy Pelosi has said that the articles of impeachment are only going to be handed over to the Senate once there's clarity on that in terms of who's going to testify, if anyone. How is this going to influence the trial going forward?
8: Look, this adds uh, some new detail and and a, a better understanding uh, to how this all unfolded and to some of those concerns inside the administration and, and the highest levels at which it reached. Uh, but it doesn't change the overall picture. Look, Democrats have already known that this was not uh, a routine foreign policy decision to freeze this security aid. They knew that there were concerns being expressed. They knew that there were efforts to convince the president to reverse course on this. So I don't think this is going to fundamentally change uh, Democrats' position, uh, nor necessarily Republicans, frankly. But uh, again, there are still those conversations happening between Democrats and Republicans over the rules in the Senate Nancy Pelosi has not indicated whether she will actually send those articles of impeachment over to the Senate or when she will do so. Uh, so again, it is still largely a waiting game here. And certainly the president still has this very much top of mind uh, as we've watched over his uh, Twitter feed over the last uh, week of his vacation here in Florida.
11: A lot of tweets uh,
0: we've all noticed. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Much appreciated. So here's today's boardroom brief. Lufthansa subsidiary Eurowings says more than 85% of its flights will take place despite a German Wings cabin crew strike. The German crew union called the strike on Friday over working conditions. Eurowings has called the strike disproportionate and absolutely incomprehensible. The Bank of England governor says finance firms must act faster to cut investment into fossil fuels. In a BBC Radio interview, Mark Carney said slow progress could lead to sharp temperature increases. The results could make certain financial assets worthless. Shares in Tesla rival Mio are up more than 30%. The Chinese electric car maker delivered more cars in the third quarter than in the second and total revenue rose nearly 25% compared to a year earlier. One programming note, be sure to tune in to CNN for a new documentary. John Defterios takes us around the U.S. to see how the shale, oil and gas boom has revolutionized the nation's energy policy and transformed the global landscape. It's part of our Global Energy series, which examines how we can transition to cleaner energy while also satisfying our demand for more power. The Global Energy Challenge airs Tuesday at times seen on your screen. All right, so up next, dating app Bumble makes amends after blocking guess who, Sharon Stone. We bring you today's top stories after this. Alright, so welcome back and uh Today, we take a look back at some of the big stocks movers in 2019 on Wall Street. It was a great year to be invested in Apple. The tech giant is turning out to be the best performing Dow stock this year, up more than 80%. Microsoft is the second best Dow stock, up more than 50%. But it wasn't all tech. Banking giant JP Morgan Chase is up 42%. And Visa gained 40% year to date as well. So... Taking a look at how awful stocks are doing in early trading, uh, most are pulling back a bit, as you can see, with uh, exception, JP Morgan Chase is up two-tenths of a percent. By the way, there are only three Dow stocks that are closing out the year in negative territory, Pfizer, Walgreens, and 3M. Right, Truist has become the sixth largest bank in the U.S. after a $28 billion merger between SunTrust and BB&T. Matt Egan sat down with the CEO to talk about the name as well as financial regulation.
5: I would be less critical today of Dodd-Frank than I might have been 10 years ago. Because what we've seen is that it has generally been applied reasonably well. um, And there's some really good things that came out of of Dodd-Frank. For example, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Uh, At its core, it is a really good agency. We needed that. We needed broader... Uh, consumer regulation coming out of Dodd-Frank was a requirement that the banks do more robust capital planning, the so-called CCAR process. That's turned out to be a really healthy thing. And so are there some things that we would like to change? Have there been a few things changed? Sure. But overall, um, you know, I would say that uh, as a long-term banker, I'm comfortable with the level of regulation we have. Uh, I don't particularly think we need a lot more uh, because if you overregulate the banks, then you stymie the economy.
4: Elizabeth Warren has pointed out that the Federal Reserve has not declined any of the thirty-eight hundred or so bank merger applications that it's received between two thousand six and two thousand seventeen. Isn't isn't that a little alarming? The
5: process that the regulators go through is very thorough, and and what does happen oftentimes is that as companies contemplate merging, uh, and then they discover more about what's required to be the new institution. They realize they don't have the capacity to perform according to the regulatory requirements, and so they withdraw their application uh, because they know they would not be approved. Uh, And so to say that they don't approve, uh, reject any, is a bit overstating the case. There are in fact lots and lots and lots of mergers that are proposed that get withdrawn, which is effectively or de facto a rejection.
8: Can you tell me a little bit about how you came up with the truest
4: name?
5: We want a name that um, uh, doesn't carry baggage. Uh, We really wanted a name that we could build on what the future looks like for truest and that's what we got so the word Truist was a made-up word um and actually when we did a lot of scientific research we got exactly what we wanted which was 91 percent of the people said well i'm just kind of neutral to that word perfect because what we want to be able to do is build on truest now to be uh what we stand for
4: But there's also been some pushback to the truest name. Uh, There was an informal Twitter poll by American Banker that found 68 percent of users hated the name. Have you had any second thoughts?
5: No, because, uh, you know, that's natural. People tend to think about words and names that they've always uh, liked, but they don't think about words that were created, you know, just in the last 20, 30 years. I uh, think Nike, Verizon, et cetera, so things that we love now. The household words and all same kind of, same kind of scenario.
0: Well, the dating app Bumble has restored Sharon Stone's account. It was blocked after users claimed it was fake. The company told the actress, "quote Looks like our users thought you were too good to be true." That's it for First Move. Thanks so much for watching. I'm Eleni Jokos in New York.